0: Today on Ag News Daily, global food system accounts for more than a third of global GDP. Uh, it gets less than five percent of full you know, venture funding, and so it's extremely underinvested. There's a lot of opportunities.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast, as well as in other places. It is also a Tuesday, which means that yesterday we had the weekly release of crop progress and crop conditions. From the USDA, and I understand co-host Delaney Howell has those numbers in front of her. Delaney, what's going on with the corn and soybean crops in this country?
2: I certainly do have those numbers, Mike, but I would say that they might be a little bit different when we look at them again next week because we did see quite a bit of overnight rains in part of the Midwest last night. However, the preliminary results that we got are yesterday's crop progress results, Rated corn at 71% good to excellence, down just two points from the previous week. Soybeans were also at 71% good to excellence, the same as the week prior. So crop is looking still in pretty good condition. Um, The other thing, though, to keep in mind is we do have another report later this week on Friday, I believe. So we could see that be another market mover as well.
1: Yes, we do have the WASD coming out, which is, it seems to be so early this week, I but know. It's, it's the way it falls, you know, of course. we. It had just the,
2: feels so close after the crop um, acreage report.
1: Right, yeah, and I think it's just the way the month fell, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the first being on a Wednesday or Thursday or whatever. I can't keep anything <laughs> straight, all my days blur together, but luckily we have uh, talented folks here on the podcast who can keep us on the straight and narrow. Like intern Ashton Carr. Ashton, what are you watching today,
3: Well, you know, I have been closely following the swarms of locusts that are around the world right now, and I was actually surprised to see a few, definitely not a swarm, last night when I was uh, in the hammock out here at my parents' house, so this story really intrigued me. But there is a team of locust scouts in Kenya that are being trained by a local aid group with the help of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization and the Turkana, Turkana, I'm not sure, it's a county in Kenya, their regional government to spot and report sightings using a new app called eLocust. So from what I understand, these people on this team of scouts will uh, take pictures, on their phones of swarms of locusts, send the location out on the app, and people can actually come in and um, they will spray the insects with pesticides to prevent those swarms from forming into even bigger swarms and thus um, eating all the crops around in the area. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting them using that kind of technology in, in, in that way.
1: It is interesting and you know the ability that we have today to use technology in new ways is fascinating. And since today is hashtag Tech Tuesday, we'll be diving into how investors make their decisions to invest in technology that impacts ag. So stay with us. I've got an update here. A Senate bill has been introduced that has gained the support of the National Pork Producers Council. This is a bill introduced by Jim Inhofe, Republican of Oklahoma, uh, Joni Ernst, Republican of Iowa, Richard Burr of North Carolina, also Republican, uh, Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, and Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, notice all of those states are large hog-producing states, and this bill is called the – let me catch my breath here before I read this title. They, They try to get so cute with these titles. This one is the Responding to Epidemic Losses and Investing in the Economic Future, Relief for producers act of 2020 uh the idea behind this bill of course stems stems from the depopulation that was required when the coronavirus spread throughout the country and pork processing plants were shut down proposals in this bill include compensating hog and poultry producers who were forced to euthanize or donate animals. They couldn't be processed due to COVID shutdowns. They want to increase funding for animal health surveillance and laboratories. So this is coming back to something we've talked about since this podcast was started back in 2017 about uh, managing animal health better. Um, it's coming back again to the Commodity Corp- Credit Corporation. They want to revise that so that pandemic-driven national emergencies can qualify for funding. And uh, a few other things. This bill, or yeah, this uh, legislation has been proposed, have not seen a bipartisan co-signer as of yet. I imagine they are diligently working for one, but we'll continue to see if this thing actually looks like it's going to gain any traction over in D.C.,
2: we always have such strange names for bills like who comes up with them
1: right i mean they've got to have just a team of interns coming up with words that are they can make acronyms out of to uh, name these stupid
2: mm, things yeah i would i i would maybe agree with you there
1: yeah well what other news are you watching today like
2: well uh we saw some uh, big news hit the headlines this morning yesterday i turning into this morning, dealing with China related to the cattle markets. We are watching them continue to fluctuate price-wise, but we saw China has halted imports from two more Brazilian meat plants amid COVID-19 concerns, and they... The new total is now six different facilities that they will not be taking any sort of beef imports from, which does somewhat open the door for US beef. However, they are quarantining ships for 14 days before they're unloading. And so the ports are somewhat open, about 70 to 80% reopened. But I think that's crazy that they are making them sit there for 14 days to ensure that you know, there's no COVID-19 impacts. um, And they're also inspecting them thoroughly for COVID-19. I don't really know what that means. How do you inspect something for COVID-19? I'm not sure if that means they're running like surface tests, or they're testing the ship's crews. But uh, we continue to watch that story, too.
1: We do. And I saw an article about two weeks ago that they were running surface tests on okay. uh, stuff coming over, basically swabs on the containers. No no idea if they're doing tests on the crew, although I imagine they would be. Um, and Delaney, I just want to follow up with you. Yesterday, they announced a ban on two pork plants from exports, but today you say it's two beef plants from Brazil? Yes, that's right. All right. Well, yeah, this is, I mean, China is, it's an interesting track. They're choosing I, it the more plants they shut down around the world the more they're forced to buy from the U.S. I, I don't know if they're doing this legitimately out of fear of COVID or if it's some way to not upset foreign you know other exporters as they strive to hit their phase one agenda purchases I, it's, it's very bizarre
2: it seems very politically driven to me <sighs>
1: Well, it is China. And uh, speaking of politics, I talked yesterday about the Dakota Access Pipeline being shut down. Energy Transfers LP had filed an immediate um, request to keep that pipeline moving. And that request was not granted. Their stay was not granted. So the uh, as of now, that pipeline is still shut down and they have to get the oil out of it. So we'll continue to track that story. Of course, uh, should be very interesting for our friends in the Dakotas.
2: It certainly should, but I want to take things back here just for a second. I should have thrown this on to the end of my Brazil story. But looking at U.S. beef exports, it doesn't appear that at least in the month of May, we saw any increased demand with the whole COVID debacle because we saw U.S. beef exports plunge 33% in May to its lowest monthly volume over the past decade. Uh, I, I think there's a couple thoughts behind this, one of which could be, An argument I suppose you could make is, you know, we weren't exporting as much beef. We were trying to keep supplies populated here in the United States. Um, But the U.S. Meat Export Federation did put out a full analysis. If you'd like to check that out, it is just on their website, USMEF.org. And the title is called Production Changes Economic Headwinds Slow Red Meat Exports in May
1: yeah and Delaney I bet you are 100% correct May was when we were really seeing the bulk of the plants shut down so whatever meat was coming out Americans were willing to pay through the nose for it why would they export it when they could get more and ship it less far by keeping it in this country
3: Mm
2: -hmm, absolutely well Ashton,
1: do you have any other news stories for us today
3: no I don't
1: how about you Delaney anything else you want to get to before we talk markets
2: I certainly do not
1: all right. And let me do a quick check. I also have no other stories. We did see a bit of a turnaround Tuesday today in the markets. we got mixed trade in the grains. Corn and soybeans found some weakness. Wheat, however, in the grain. In the markets, July corn up one and a half at 345, even December, excuse me, July was down one and a half, I apologize, at 3.45. December was down four cents at 3.52 and a quarter. July soybeans down three and a quarter at 8.95 and a quarter. November new crop down four and a quarter. Closed the day still above nine bucks. Finished at 9.02 even. In the wheat pit, Chicago, July up two and three quarters at 4.92 and a quarter. December up one and a quarter, closed at 5.02 and a quarter. Looking over at that livestock market, live cattle mixed trade, the August down 10 cents at $100 even. October up 25 cents, closed at 104.17 and a half. Bigger losses in feeder cattle, the August contract was down $1.22.50 at 134.92 and a half. September down 90, closed at 136.32.50. And weakness continues in lean hogs. July was down 42.5 cents at and a half The August down 40 at 48.87 and a half. Got to check the dairy markets here. Class three milk. We've got a little bit of green. The July up 16 cents on the day. Continues to scream higher, close the day at 23.41. While the August was off 14 cents to finish at 21.50. Without further ado, let's jump into our conversation discussing equities with private equity investor Germinate.
3: Today on the podcast, we have Michael Lavin, who is the founder and managing partner for Germinate Ventures. Now, Michael, why don't you go ahead and take us through what Germinate is and what you guys do, how you got started, that kind of thing.
0: Sure. Thank you. First and foremost, uh, thank you very much for having me on the call today. I really appreciate this opportunity and and, uh, always relish the chance to Talk about Germinate and uh, what we're doing in the food system. Um, you asked about a little bit of an introduction as to who we are in Germinate, what we do, um, why I started Germinate. I started the, the fund about three years ago now, and the idea was really built on, on three uh, three reasons or three purposes um, impact, supply and demand imbalances, and capability. Um, with regards to impact, um, a lot of us know the, the 2050 problem, that uh, that we're, we're quite food insecure, that food production needs to increase by 70% in order to feed the global population by 2050. You need to be able to accomplish this while combating uh, climate change, disease resistance, poor um, farmer economics and producer economics throughout the value chain, and a whole host of other uh, uh, challenges that, that are constantly coming up, and meanwhile, balancing that with uh, shifts in downstream demand trends. Um, so we think of this as being very impact-driven. We're very purpose-driven. Our fund is uh, looking to make an impact beyond just a, a financial return for our investors. And we really think that the, the two concepts go hand-in-hand, hand, that, that real transformation does have impact. Um, and so you know the separation of impact funds versus funds that are looking to invest in disruptive technologies, we really question that uh, quite a bit. So so first and foremost, we're really um, interested in impact. So that's one pillar, if you will. The other dimension is, uh, the second dimension is supply and demand imbalances. Uh, The global food system accounts for more than a third of global GDP. Uh, It gets less than 5% of total venture funding. And so it's extremely underinvested. There's a lot of opportunity, especially when you look at uh, technological advancements in AI blockchain, Synthetic biology um, and the like, many others as well, uh, that all are very transferable to real valuable applications throughout the value chain in agriculture and and bringing our food system into the twenty first century. We see a lot of these as gaps that need to be filled. Uh, We also see gaps that exist in terms of the types of funds um, that are investing in these technologies and in these these, uh, startups. Um, A lot of them are are large funds. Um, They have to deploy, uh, by virtue of their fund size, some significant check sizes. And sometimes that's not necessarily what's needed, particularly at the early stages. And so we find that there are a number of startups that, that need capital, um, in the in the pre-seed and seed stages where we tend to focus as well as Series A. Um, and they're looking for domain experts. And so when you think about finding domain experts that, that invest that early stage with that type of risk appetite and check sizes that are considered founder-friendly by means of not burning the founders out of the cap table by, say, the third round, um, that's us. And so we're filling a lot of those types of gaps. And then we're filling gaps um in terms of uh international investment about 30 or 35 percent of our deal flow is international there are other parts of the world besides the united states that have a confluence of major agricultural economies and food systems um with multinational tech presence and, and a knack for innovation. And so we focus in a lot of these different places and in some cases we have boots on the ground in these different regions. And so that's, that covers the supply and demand imbalances balances well. Um, and then capabilities. Um, this kind of goes back to my roots a little bit and, and the genesis of Terminate a little bit further. Is I come from the food industry myself. I have a family business called OSI Group, which is a major protein manufacturing uh, company. We're, we're quite vertically integrated. I worked all throughout the value chain, independently had a consulting and investment banking career, and, um, and realized, you know, I've got this unique arm's reach into all these different networks, know how, resources, and systems by virtue of OSI. But we can do a lot better if we create a standalone fund, and I multiply that effect by partnering with like-minded individuals who, like myself, are veterans and executives from all throughout the value chain, at leading food and agriculture companies worldwide, research institutions, academia, and even in some case, policymakers. And they serve as advisors to to germinate and very actively uh, advise us, advise our portfolio companies, and are invested in the funds significantly. And we have an arm's reach, just like in OSI, but across all these different networks, so how and, and systems.
1: So, Michael, I'd like to go into a little bit more detail. You mentioned the deal flow, the the applications that have come in, the the investments you've made already. When you're looking at bridging this gap between supply and demand, can you name few specific investments in what it is those companies are working to do to to make ag- agriculture more efficient?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, it's just a matter of picking the right one, I suppose. But um, maybe a good one to to talk about is Brightseed Bio. Uh, this is a portfolio company of ours that we invested in the seed stage uh, back in 2018, early 2018. And this company has a very accomplished uh, team, uh, three co-founders who previously worked together at another food tech company who had a, a grander vision and started Bright Seed, basically uh, mapping uh, uh, plant-based phytonutrients to desirable health outcomes, particularly targeted at reversing or preventing chronic illness that's that's quite widespread, all through plant-based diets, but basically unlocking uh, the power of nature and the power of plants. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a very meaningful way, where it's almost a point and click solution, much like Google Search. But where do where do these phytonutrients exist? Not just in nature, but in well established commercial supply chains, so that we can get it as an ingredient to market quickly with the right economics, and very importantly, uh, a post a potent dosage uh, with with real evidence. That's that's one company that that's in our portfolio that we see as being uh, very very transformational and uh, really one that is the pinnacle of food as medicine and one that's going to shift the paradigm of food in a meaningful way. Um, this isn't as much upstream as say some of our other companies in agriculture, but it's one that we think about very meaningfully in terms of filling some of these gaps, um, particularly with regards to health. And another gap that's important to mention here, which is one reason why I brought it up is when we, when we invested in the seed stage despite the team being extraordinary and a very backable team, um, they weren't looking for really a, a, a huge uh, seed route um, when, when we first invested. And so they were very critical about um, uh, and thoughtful about who they would want to bring in as partners we were looking for some domain experts, but didn't want to be diluted so substantially from the outset. And so we were one of those funds that basically brought the firepower, effectively, of multiple corporate venture funds, but really with none of the bureaucracy, none of the red tape, and the small check size, and the "let's make it happen" mentality, um, where we work very closely with the team and effectively as extensions of the team. Um, so, so, Michael, the,
2: do you see then the the biggest way to to fix the what you call the failing food system is to pair up those? disruptive or those innovative tech and food companies with investors or do you see other ways of being able to fix the system?
0: Well I think I think in our case we we have the opportunity to be a financial investor and and be a different kind of financial investor and and, and help fund these opportunities. But I think that it's an ecosystem and there's going to be contribution from every stakeholder. Um, one one stakeholder or one one sub one sort of subset that I'd like to see more activity in is policy and using policy to drive uh, meaningful transformation. Um, but but I certainly do believe otherwise we wouldn't have started germinate that that being an investor in this space um, is a very very worthy if you want to consider it R and D initiative um, to developing these technologies and developing these companies scaling them. Where they can have massive impact, because from the venture standpoint, we're looking to invest in companies that are scalable that that have an opportunity for nonlinear growth to a very big uh, to meeting a very big threshold for revenues, and hopefully that coincides with impact. That's something that we we try to think very critically about is is what's the impact in a success state, can we measure it, and if so. What does that look like,
1: Michael? I want to ask you a question. You touched on something right there, which is policy and how that could be used as a driver for change in the agriculture slash food space it, over the course of this pandemic. And I'm speaking specifically to American policy here. I, I think uh, we have seen a renewed interest in the food system as a whole, as an ecosystem in which all of these separate companies interact. And we've seen ways in which policy has is now up for discussion. Stuff that has maybe been you know, the the passion of a very small subset of people is now being discussed on a broader picture. In this time of change, what to your mind, as you look at, at the future of Germinate, the future of the firms you're investing in, what one or two things do you think would have the biggest impact to really help make this space uh, blossom like it should?
0: Great question. Um, first of all, it is, it is blossoming ever since we started Germinate. It's really become quite a hot sector, and you're seeing a lot of incredible talent from other other sectors uh, moving into it. And so there, there are entrepreneurs that are coming from biofuels that are moving into food tech and ag tech. And there are people from uh, developing fintech and computer vision that are moving into food tech and ag tech. And they don't necessarily have domain expertise, but they actually offer unique perspectives by not having some domain expertise that is also quite valuable and and should be recognized because they'll challenge the status quo in unique ways and and ask questions that a lot of of experts uh, who have been in the industry for a long time might not dare to ask. So so I do think that there's a lot of excitement and a lot blossoming here is is number one. Um, In terms of uh, policy and that trend, I think that yeah, the spotlight is on food tech and ag tech and it should be Um, I think COVID certainly accelerated some of that spotlight um, and activity taking place and some of that attention which is great Um, it's a a nice silver lining in in the pandemic, I suppose Um, but it's also shown what our vulnerabilities are in the supply chain Um, but back to policy and and impact uh, for a second Um, these are things that people should have known, especially policymakers and especially people who are making promises on uh, uh, GHG emissions and being carbon net zero by X year. They they should know these things because the UN sustainability goals, um, there's about 17 of them, more than half of them are either entirely or largely influenced by innovation in food tech and ag tech. Food tech and ag tech is without question the number one lever for for uh, uh, shifting paradigms in, in human health, nourishing the globe, um, being sustainable, sequestering carbon, reducing impact it, it is that it is that number one lever, and that's that's what we really believe in, and and so that's a big that's a big part of that first pillar I mentioned where it's it's impact oriented. Um, does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, it does. And Michael, we're going to have to continue talking on the podcast in the future as this industry continues to mature but before we let you go if people are interested in seeing the kind of work you're doing at germinate is there a place they can uh can follow along can get more information
0: yeah we're always reachable through the website um there's an there's an email so please drop us an email and, and that goes straight to uh myself and um some other team members and and we're always open for conversation we're looking to do deal still um germinate is not a fund that's on the sidelines right now um you know we're we're very focused high conviction investors and and we we're very one advantage of ours is that we are a very nimble team and we're very dynamic and effectively a startup looking to disrupt the venture game in food tech and ag tech and maybe even more broadly but um but yeah we're we're open for business so drop us
1: a line and uh and if we can be helpful at minimum then we want to be fantastic folks check it out german letter or excuse me number eight ventures.com michael thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today thank you really appreciate it
3: Again a big thank you to Michael Lavin of Germinate for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. It was a little bit of a different tech Tuesday I think and it was very interesting because when I think about food technology and and that kind of thing I'd never really think about um you know food technology whenever I think about ag technology I guess and so it was definitely really interesting to hear about.
1: It is, and to me, it's fascinating the way you know we think of these technological improvements. They don't happen in a vacuum. It takes dollars to get these things developed and you know ready for the market. And as Michael was saying, there's a lot of folks out there willing to write giant checks. You know, we look at the acquisitions that some of the major players in ag have made over the past uh, two or three years. Um, but maybe there isn't somebody out there doing these smaller scale investments that can really drive home changes on the farm. And it's cool to see Germinate out there doing that.
2: It certainly is. It certainly is indeed. But if you want to check out any of our past Tech Tuesday episodes, head to our website, agnewsdaily.com, and check them out there. You can also find us on social media at Agnewsdaily Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to connect with us. We're always sharing great content, articles, photos, videos, etc. on there. So do be sure that you are following us with that Ashton, Should we let the people
3: go? Let's let them go.